Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. You see, children matter to Jesus. And because children matter to Jesus, marriage matters because it's in the context of those great marriages that we can best care for and love and nurture, protect and provide for those children. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, most parents would agree that raising children can be one of the most challenging jobs of all. Thankfully, we have wisdom from God's Word to give us the help that we need. Today on Resonate, we're talking about why children matter to God. So let's listen now as Pastor Trent shares from his own experience as a parent as we continue in the series, Marriage Matters. Here's Pastor Trent. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. We're in the third week of our series called Marriage Matters. And what we're going to discover today is that marriage matters because children matter to God. And your marriage matters incredibly to your children. I realize that every time somebody starts talking about children, there is an immediate wave of guilt that sweeps through the congregation. And I just want to let you know, I am the most convicted of all by this message. This is the second time I've had to hear it today. And uh, we're going to look at the important subject of children today. But um, again, I want you to understand, uh, in our home, we, we have some dysfunction. And it is not because of Andrea. Um, most of it is not because of me. Um, actually, it's, it's because of all of the dysfunction in all of us, but I just want to go on record today that my wife is an incredible mom. Thank you, honey, for attempting to raise my children while she has to put up with me. So um, I, I, I always remember it, probably the worst day on record for, for me being a parent. It happened when Zach, he's my second son, he's now 15, uh, but when he was two years old, we were traveling, we were doing a conference in a church somewhere in Middle Tennessee, and, and we were going from church to church to church, kind of a different church every week, and so we really didn't know the area very much. Someone in that church had loaned us their brand new SUV, and I took all of my children out to the vehicle and let them understand, you are not to mess with the vehicle. I do not want you to eat in the vehicle. I do not want you to throw up in the vehicle. I do not want you to breathe on the vehicle. Well, Zach came down with some horrible ear infection and he was just feeling terrible. So I called around, I found a pediatrician and it was a ways away. So we drove um, to the pediatrician. On the way back, we passed a sonic drive-in. Now you have to understand something about my family, okay? We do not pass a sonic drive-in. We obey the sign. Sonic, drive in. That's what we do. And so uh, I knew that what Zachary really needed was not a bunch of antibiotics. What he really needed was a blue coconut slush. So I pulled the vehicle into um, the, the stall there and hit the red button. And I ordered a Route 44 vanilla Diet Coke, easy on the ice for me, put it there in the cup holder. And, and I gave a blue coconut slush very carefully back to Zach, who was strapped in his car seat in the back seat. 
And um, I told him, be very, be very careful. You don't want to, you know, smear that all over the vehicle. Just hold it there. And, and so we took off back to the church. Now, about halfway back to the church, I noticed that Zach was kind of moaning and, and he was just feeling so terrible and he wasn't drinking his slush. So I thought, well, I better grab the slush before something bad happens. So I reached back while I was driving. I reached back and I grabbed the blue coconut slush to bring it up and put it in the drink holder. But to get it to the drink holder, I had to come up over the bucket seat. Now, the one thing that Sonic has not yet figured out is that a styrofoam cup with a red straw poking out the top of it in the hands of a two-year-old is not a good combination. We've been in our vehicles. Our vehicles just have blue carpet because uh, blue coconut slushes have gotten smeared all over those vehicles because inevitably the children start playing with the, blue, the red straw, poke the hole out of the bottom of the cup, and, and just splatter it everywhere. So anyway, I, I thought, well, I'm going to save that from happening. So I reached back and I grabbed the blue coconut slush to bring it up over the bucket seat. And when I did, I hit the straw on the top of the vehicle and I poked the hole out of the bottom of the styrofoam cup and blue coconut slush went everywhere. It went all over Zach, it went all over me, it went in the floorboard in the front, the floorboard in the back, and this thing just exploded in this vehicle. And I'm like, oh no, and how am I gonna clean that up? And the only thing I knew to do was just drive a little faster, get back to the, to the church so I could clean it up. So I started driving a little faster and there was one right-hand turn I needed to take. And I was going a little too fast. You know how those, top, those uh, SUVs are kind of top-heavy? So when I turned right, the vehicle leaned left. And when the vehicle leaned left, Zach, in his car seat, went flying across the back seat. And he landed face first in the floorboard behind my seat in blue coconut slush. With the car seat still strapped to him. He was strapped to the car seat, but the car seat was not strapped to the car. So there he is. I mean, he's like a turtle in a turtle shell, like trying to figure out how to get out of this mess. And here I am driving and I'm like, I've got to rescue my son. So I pulled over to the side of the road and I stopped the vehicle and I got out of my side of the car and I shut the door and I, I went to open the back door and it was locked. So I opened my door back up. I hit the unlock button. I shut that door and I went to open his door again. It was still locked. So I went to open my door and it was now locked. I hit the lock button instead of the unlock button. I checked all the other doors, they were all locked. I'm like staring through the glass, I'm like shouting instructions to my son. He's wondering, what are you doing out of the vehicle? Get back in here. Now he's okay, the engine's running, the air conditioner's on, he's listening to Rush Limbaugh, so he's gonna be okay. But. I've got to figure out a way to get my son out of this car. And so I'm like, I don't know what to do. And about that time, a police officer pulled up behind us. I thought, oh, this is great. You know, he'll, he'll have one of those Slim Jims, you know, those long pieces of metal you slide down between the window and the door panel and you can catch the lock. Oh, this is great. So he walks up and he said, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. It looks like some derelict father locked his son in the car. I'm just trying to help, you know? And um, I said, do you have one of those tools? He said, no, we don't carry those anymore. I'm like, well, where do we, can we get one of those? And he said, well, I'll call a body shop. So he radioed the body shop. And about 30 minutes later, a tow truck pulls up. And how many of you have seen the movie Cars? Do you remember Mater? <laughs> Mater has arrived now at the scene of the crime. He pulls out one of those long Slim Jim things and he walks up very confidently to the vehicle and he slides it down in between the window and the door panel and he's pulling up and he is not catching anything. 
But every time he pulls up, he puts a very nice scratch on the window. So I'm watching this going, oh, be careful with the vehicle. We can't figure it out there, so he goes on to another door and starts scratching up that window. He can't find that one. Finally, he's all the way around to the passenger side and he slides the thing down and he pulls and he catches something. I'm like, finally. And he pulled really hard. He knocked the keyhole out of the door panel. It falls down into the door panel of the vehicle. I am watching this man's vehicle just slowly disintegrate in front of my eyes. About that time, I heard Zach on the inside of the vehicle. He screams. I looked in, I was like, what's wrong? He said, I gotta go potty! <laughs> this is going from bad to worse. I said, just go! <laughs> he did. And that combination between the blue coconut slush and it just, it, it just all went downhill. I, f I had my cell phone on me, but I had avoided using it. Because I didn't want to call Andrea and let her know what her beloved, cherished, beautiful gentle son was being subjected to on a date with his dad. But I called her, I said, honey, I think you might need to find another key to this vehicle and see if you can show up at this location. And finally, an hour and a half into this whole ordeal, the key shows up, I'm able to rescue my son and I scooped him up and I brought him back to his mother for safekeeping. And what happens to a son when he spends a little time with his dad. So anyway, I just, I just want to go on record that the performance is not good up here, okay? So I am as convicted as anyone. Um, I have four children, and we have three girls and, and a boy, Zach. He survived that day. We still have Zach. And um, um, my youngest child is now nine years old. She's in the third grade, and, and recently she got a, a school assignment. Now she's been learning her grammar and her spelling, and, and um, she's... Uh, got this assignment from the teacher. The assignment was to use as many vivid words as you could use to describe a conversation. And so she got the assignment. The homework came home and we read this, this assignment. And I got a little glimpse through the eyes of a nine-year-old what had been happening with her two sisters. Okay, sisters, they have this unique thing going on. They have a language that only they can understand. And, and uh, our three daughters, they, they, they live in the basement. They, they have ways of escape, but they, they, have, they have rooms in the basement. And so there's all kinds of stuff that goes on down there as they try to share one bathroom. And so I, I got this assignment. I want to share it with you. I have permission to use it, by the way. And this is, this is through the eyes of a nine-year-old the relationships and the conversations that were going on in the basement that I had no idea about. It, it goes like this. Brooke yelled, Leah, get down here. That's the older sister. Okay, I'm coming. I murmured. Did you take my makeup? Brooke snapped. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I murmured. Leah, give it to me, Brooke thundered. <laughs> Brooke's been walking around, I thunder? Like, yeah, sometimes. I replied, I don't have it. Allie took it. Allie! 
Brooke yelled. And so that, that goes on in our home. I don't know what's going on in your home, but, but the, the responsibility that we have as parents to, to try to raise these children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord without killing them ourselves or allowing them to be killed by their siblings is quite the challenge. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 29 verse 15 tells this, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. We're all about mom not getting shamed. That's why we're here learning how to be good parents because marriage matters and children matter. Proverbs 10 verse one says this, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. So no guilt trips today. We just wanna find out what Jesus thinks about children and, and listen, Please understand, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world and his disciples love the little children too. If you don't love little children, you cannot claim to be a disciple of Jesus. Why is that true? Because of what we're about to read. Here's the first point of the message. God uses great marriages to grow great kids. Let's look at it in Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 13. Now, please understand the context before we read verse 13. Remember, the Pharisees had come up to Jesus. They had asked him a question about marriage and divorce. Jesus wanted to talk about marriage, not about divorce. And he gives them the answer to their question. By the way, we're not finished with those first 12 chapters of Matthew. We're going to come back to them tomorrow. But I wanted you to see what the very next paragraph is all about. We move from marriage Next topic, verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. Can everybody spell the word clueless? When it relates to disciples, so often they do the exact opposite of what Jesus would have them to do. Somehow they thought, the disciples thought, oh, Jesus is too, too important. Jesus, Jesus got too much on his mind. The, the things that Jesus is into would be way too important than be, to be distracted by these annoying little children. And the disciples got it completely wrong. Look at it in verse 14. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Matthew is telling us a story about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to preach the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we want to get the kingdom of heaven into our homes and children are a huge gateway for making that happen. Jesus is gonna teach us a lesson here about the kingdom that involves children. Verse 15, he laid his hands on them and he went away. What a beautiful story about what Jesus thinks about children. You see, children matter to Jesus. And because children matter to Jesus, 
Marriage matters because it's in the context of those great marriages that we can best care for and love and nurture, protect and provide for those children. Children understand that marriage is God's laboratory for growing them. And we should understand what we should do within the context of marriage. There's five things that we should do to remove the hindrances, to let the little children come to us. The first is this, to remove the children, we need to give them life. It's real simple. We could take time to go back to the first few pages of the Bible in Genesis. And uh, we learned uh, last week about the first mom and dad, the first husband and wife, and the command was given to them, be fruitful and multiply. And so we get to Genesis chapter 4 and we see children in the fourth chapter of the Bible. Cain and Abel. By the way, how'd they get along? No, they, they had a little conflict in their home. Why do you think Cain and Abel weren't able to operate as one? Because of the corruption of sin that led to a battle for control between husband and wife that began in Genesis chapter 3... Should we be surprised that since mom and dad weren't able to fully achieve oneness, that two brothers weren't able to achieve oneness? By the way, if you don't know the story, Cain killed his brother Abel. And so we need to give life because there's so much in our culture that is a culture of death. Do you understand that God is the creator of life? He's the only one that can create life. He's the only one that has the right to take life. God is a very pro-life God. Even in the womb, God is nurturing and God is forming a person in what should be the safest place on the planet for a child to spend some time. Ultrastown has given us a, a window into the womb to know what's going on. And if you were able to look into the womb of a mom, even eight weeks after conception, this is what you'd find. You'd find a child sucking his thumb. You'd find a child recoiling from prickling, responding to sound. All of his organs are present. The brain is functioning. The heart is pumping. The liver is making blood. The kidneys are cleaning fluids. And that child even has a fingerprint. And yet all of that happens at a time when the baby could legally be killed in the womb. We need to understand that God wants to protect that child in that very safe place. And, and listen, I, I realize that in a room this size, there are probably dozens of men who have sanctioned and even paid for and maybe even pressured a woman to have an abortion. So many times men get off too easy when we talk talking about abortion. And there are probably dozens of women. Please, please understand, this is a place where we learn that all of us are sinners and the only remedy for sin is the loving, gracious gift of Jesus Christ to cover all of our sin. And so if you've been involved in something like that, and even as you think about giving them life, that's been a hindrance, that's been something you haven't allowed the little children to come, please understand that God gives grace and God wants to redeem and to restore and to protect and God can do it. So we need to remove the hindrance of even the children coming to life. 
give them life, but secondly, give them a blessing. The word blessing here is a very, it's actually not found in the text, but exactly what Jesus was doing. He put his hands on them. He, he got close enough to have hands-on involvement with children. And throughout the Old Testament, we see fathers transferring a blessing to their children. It is, has something to do with touch, but it also has something to do with verbal affirmation. It's a father and a mother defining a future for their children. It's describing the child better than what they already are, knowing they are an unfinished product, but I see a better future for you, and allowing that verbal affirmation to transfer a blessing. At a camp where hundreds of teenagers came, there was a survey done. Simply one question was asked, what do you wish you would have heard your parents say that you never heard them say? Top three answers, I love you, I'm proud of you, I was wrong. Why is it so hard for parents to say those things? It's because we don't receive the children and don't see the children as God's tool to help us understand who He is. So give them a blessing, give them prayer. Pray with them and pray for them. Open your mouth and let them hear you talk to God. I don't know about for you, but at our home, that happens at night when I'm tucking children into the bed. And I've done this from a very early age with our children. And, and I can remember even as a three-year-old, Leah, my youngest, um, tucking her in the bed one night. And, and I, I pray really big prayers. I don't care if they can understand it or not. I'm just praying. I'm just telling God on them and um, telling God what I want and I need for him to do in their lives. And so I remember one day I was just kind of praying the gospel over my children. I was saying things like, um, Lord Jesus, please help Leah to understand that she's a dirty, rotten sinner. And uh, please help her to understand how much she needs you and that you died on that cross in her place as a substitute for her sin. Help her to understand the fact that her sin can be imputed to you and your righteousness can be imputed to her. And, and Lord, just help her to understand that you died on that cross to take away her sins. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I prayed that prayer, I, I was getting ready to leave and I noticed that Leah's eyes got really big. And she said, Daddy, she's like three years old. She said, did, did Jesus take my sin away? And I thought, man, this is, a, this is a moment. God's opening her eyes to the gospel. God is giving her light and illuminating. Maybe this is the point of, of new birth and regeneration and justification. I said, yes, honey, he, he died to take away your sin. She said, I want him back. <laughs> She's like, she's not quite sure what sin is, but she was sure a crime had been committed to take something away from her that didn't belong to him. So anyway, we're still working on that. But anyway, <laughs> give them prayer. Give them a second chance. Hey, our children blow it all the time. It's because they came from us. They learned how to do that from us. Look over at Matthew chapter 18. Now, I told you that we were going to use Matthew 19 to, as a springboard to get back into some things that Jesus taught in chapter 18. And I want you to see this because in chapter 18, Jesus continues to deal with the subject of children. So look at Matthew 18, beginning in verse 10. Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, just let your brain explode over that statement, okay? 
Number one, there's angels. Um, number two, they're watching these children, these little ones. Number three, they can do all of that while they're intensely focused on the glory of God. Yeah, that should be a motivation to realize um, I need to pay attention to what's going on in my children's lives. The angels are even watching what's going on down here. So verse 12 says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that went away? All right, so that's a yes, no question, just to make sure you're paying attention to church here this morning. What do you think the answer is? Does the guy that has a hundred sheep and one strays away, does he leave the 99 and go get the one? Answer yes or no. Absolutely. Because that sheep's valuable. And even though it strayed, it's not less valuable than the ones who stayed. And so he goes after them. He pursues them. He never gives up on that one sheep. Verse 13, and if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Interesting. How many of you have more than one child in your home? Okay. How many of you have one child that requires more love than the other children? You have, I, I, have, I have three children. They wake up in the morning with smiles on their faces. They're singing, I'm so happy in Jesus. I have another child that wakes up with boxing gloves and a cigar. And they're, they're ready to take on anything that gets in their way. And, and this child just requires more, more love. And, and, and so, but when that child is on it, and when that child's using all of that intensity to do the right thing, that's the one that gets rejoiced over the most, right? And so we long for the day where we we bring them back and call them back and give them a second chance. And so look at verse 14. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. You see, we're doing something on behalf of God. God is using a mom and dad to keep that one who strays from perishing. And we rejoice when God turns the heart of that child. Don't give up on those kids. And then finally here, give them a mom and a dad who are pursuing oneness. Now, last week we talked about the importance of oneness, that a, that a, that a husband and a wife are to leave father and mother, cleave to their spouse and become one flesh, and we receive one another. Do you know that is the greatest gift that you could give to your children? You say, what? More valuable than a car when they're 16? More valuable than an inheritance when I die? More, more valuable than, than a huge grand wedding? Yeah, the most valuable gift you can give to your children is for mom and dad to pursue a one flesh relationship with one another and stay married. Why? Because marriage is the divine context that God gives children the best chance to succeed. Marriage matters to children and children matter to God. And so 
the best thing we can do for them is to work on our marriages. Today we learn from Pastor Trent Griffith that within the context of a healthy marriage, we can best love, nurture, and protect our children. I hope you'll join us again next week for the conclusion of the message, The Matter of Children, as Pastor Trent shares the ways we should all become like a child. Well, we'd like to invite you to worship with us at one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana, or St. Joseph, Michigan. For campus locations and service times, visit us on the web at harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm so glad you've tuned in to Resonate today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope that God's Word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.